Hi, it's David here. We hope you're enjoying the Leader Coronavirus Daily and finding our news, interviews and analysis useful during this pandemic. Let us know on social media by using the hashtag The Leader Podcast and please do subscribe and share us through your podcast provider. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader Coronavirus Daily. Hi, I'm David Marsland. How to write a public campaign slogan. I completely recognise the struggle of people saying, well, actually, we've now got this message of some people need to do this, some people need to do a slightly different thing. Oh, and could you get that into two words? Marketing consultant Neil Taylor, who's worked with ex-cabinet ministers and gave Okado its name on the difficulties of messaging. And... Shanghai Disneyland's reopening. Could Paris be next? The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prynne on the UK-France deal that lets people travel between the two countries without having to quarantine afterwards. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, the lockdown slogans. What else could the government have said? Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. It might feel like we've all been in a kind of stasis bubble where nothing's been changing. But in reality, of course, life at the start of lockdown was much simpler than it is now. Stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. It was an easy message to get across. Now, though, the country's been testing the limits of self-isolation regulations with people reportedly flocking to parks over the bank holiday. Some businesses are running out of money and patients waiting to reopen and infection rates are falling, but not enough to set everyone free. It's a lot more complicated out there and there's still a goal to lift the lockdown. So the government has changed its messaging. Stay alert, control the virus, save lives. And they've been hit by a backlash from people saying it's too confusing, muddled. Our editorial column has sympathies for both sides. The Prime Minister gave a different sort of speech last night because the situation in this country is still precarious. We must stay alert. We must continue to control the virus and save lives. But ask a simple question. What else should he have said? People who usually complain that this government is always campaigning and not governing are now the ones saying that the communication is the biggest problem, not the policy. What I think everybody wanted to hear was something that was pretty clear and a sense of all the countries, England, Wales, Scotland, pulling together. And we didn't get clarity. I don't know what stay alert means. Presumably we all live our lives in normal times, staying alert to danger. But communication is one thing. Content is another. 
Some want a much greater lifting of restrictions soon. But imagine the outcry if Boris Johnson was seen to take his lead from Donald Trump's tone in America. This is going to go away without a vaccine. It's going to go away and it's, uh, we're not going to see it again. Others, including Scotland's leader, Nicola Sturgeon, say the change in tone has come too fast. But what's her plan to get the economy functioning again and slowly lift lockdown? Walking the line between those who want no restrictions at all and those who want us to stay in our homes forever isn't easy. It's much more complex to explain plans to ease a lockdown than to impose one. But the public are ready to listen and can handle it. Well, with me now is Neil Taylor, the founder of the Schwa Agency, which uses writers and behavioural scientists to help organisations with campaigns. He also came up with the name Ocado in a previous life for a big marketing company, and he's no stranger to politics either. So, Neil, has the government got this wrong? So I think part of the problem, right, is that at the beginning they had a much easier job, right? So stay at home is a pretty simple message that you can obviously get across in three words. In fact, I think they did stay home and did it in two words. And of course, the team putting that stuff together have a bit of previous, right? They know how to do get Brexit done or take back control. So actually, I think they were doing a pretty good job of getting to the pithy version of something quite straightforward. Where they've hit a problem, clearly, is when the message itself gets much more nuanced. And I completely recognise the struggle of people saying, well, actually, we've now got this message of some people need to do this, some people need to do a slightly different thing. Most of you need to do basically what you were doing before, but a little bit differently. Oh, and could you get that into two words? And I have to say, I think stay alert, which is the bit that's been getting the criticism, is not a bad stab at much of that. Does it need to be in two words, though? Could the public handle something that's a paragraph long, for example? Do people need more information at this time? So I'm not sure that many people are going to sit down and read a paragraph. They are more likely to listen to him addressing the nation at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night. And I actually thought that, which was, you know, 10, 12, 13 minutes worth of more detail around it was pretty good and pretty clear to understand actually. So now the government is getting this criticism of stuff not being clear. That feels a little bit unfair to me. I think often when people say something isn't clear, what they mean is I don't agree with this, but unclear feels like an easier stick to beat them with because it just makes them seem incompetent. In a way, has it kind of accidentally worked because people have seen this they've gone what does that mean and people have been able to answer it for them I'm sure it wasn't intentional but you know is that an effective campaign method well there's that famous line about all publicity is good publicity i'm not sure in this situation that's what you're going for and if you could have done the really simple intuitive version of it i'm sure they would have gone for it I just think it's a harder message. It might force you to go, well, actually, I don't quite get this. Let me click on this link to find out a bit more about it or let me watch Boris talking about it. There's a long history of political campaigning. We kind of think of slogans as being a bit of a modern invention. But as you know, because we've spoken about it, we've talked about how uh, Lord Kitchener said, your country needs you. And those kinds of really simple, effective messaging. How? Do people come up with those things? What are they thinking of when they do it? 
I guess the simple answer is it is a lot of thinking, right? It's taking the stuff that I get fired at me by clients and ministers probably get fired at them by civil servants of here's all the stuff you have to say. And there is a process of kind of whittling, just working out which is the stuff that people absolutely need to know and which is the bit that people don't. And one of the things you have to accept is that is always going to be a bit of a compromise. There's going to be stuff that you would like to say in there that you just don't have room. And actually more important is the repetition and the hammering home of the really crucial stuff. And you let some of the other stuff fall by the wayside. And that means this stuff is always up for criticism, right? You can always find something that they could have been more specific about or that they could have included, but you have to balance that against the message not getting through at all if it becomes too subtle. And if I look at, you know, your country needs you, I think these days on Twitter, someone would be saying, well, that's very vague. You know, your country needs you for what? Can you tell me a bit more about it? So if a campaign has immediate backlash, as often happens, as you've mentioned, in these days of, of social media, what do you have to do next? So I think there's the decision. You have to think to yourselves, are we basically right on this? <laughs> is there no better version? Even if this is a compromise, even this is as good as it gets, is there no better version? And if there's no better version, you keep hammering it home. You just go on and on about it. And eventually that stay alert bit, for instance, will start to mean all the stuff they want it to mean about remember to keep your distance and remember to keep washing your hands. If after some reflection you think we've got this wrong, then that's the time to switch tactic. But you better be damn sure that you've got something better to switch to. And I have been asking a few of the people who've been shouting at me going, well, this is an awful bit of communication. I've been gently saying, well, what would you suggest instead? Um, till I hear a brilliant answer to that, I might get them to stick with it. Next. Yes, there's going to be long queues for uh, any attractions that are open, but there will be an appetite to get away and just try and forget. Jonathan Prynne, the UK signed a deal with France to keep tourism going, but will there be anything to actually do over there? This instructional video from Disney has been released for its Shanghai Park's reopening after lockdown. It explains that to get in, you'll not only need a face mask and ID, you'll also have to show a green health code generated by the government's COVID-19 app to prove you've not got the virus. A ticket would probably be handy too. None of this has quelled the excitement of people longing to socially distance queue on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. There are actually markers down where you can stand. And it's got some people asking if Disneyland Paris could be next. Well, maybe. The UK and France have signed a deal to get tourism between the countries going again. You'll be able to hop over there and come back without having to go through quarantine. The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prince covering the story and he's with me now. Jonathan, I've been looking at this story and thinking we can start taking holidays to France again this summer. Is that correct? That is certainly how it looks at first glance. We had this announcement last night in, in the Prime Minister's statement that uh, Britain's travelling abroad would need to quarantine for 14 days when they got home, which has sent the travel industry into, into a total tailspin. 
And then a few minutes after the Prime Minister's statement, a separate announcement came out suggesting that this requirement would not apply to Britons who travel to France and then come home. Um, they wouldn't have to self-isolate at home for 14 days. It appears that uh, Boris Johnson and President Macron have agreed a deal that will take France uh, out of the equation for um, quarantining on return from holiday. I wonder how valuable then UK tourism must be to France and perhaps the wider continent. UK tourism is fantastically valuable to a number of countries around Europe, Spain, France, Greece, Italy to some degree as well. It's absolutely massive contributor to, to their foreign, foreign earnings. Uh, Britons are incredibly enthusiastic international travellers. And, uh, you know, there are whole swathes of the economies of Southern Europe in particular that are, are sort of built around the, the British uh, tourism dollar. I think the prospects of Spain, France, Italy, what they call the sort of club med countries, losing out on all that British spending this summer was a, was a pretty grim one for, for, you know, huge industries. So the French now at least seem to have decided that they'd rather have us than not. Uh, and, you know, with a 14-day quarantine period, obviously not many people were going to be travelling abroad. Um, but now it looks like, uh, yeah, the drawbridge to Europe is open. I wonder what there'd be to do, though, because obviously France still has social distancing, so it's unlikely that places like Disneyland Paris will reopen like the one in Shanghai has done. This is a reciprocal deal, and London is still in lockdown itself. It's not going to be a great holiday, is it? Well, that's true. It won't be the same carefree uh, experience that you know most people like to have when they go on holidays to get away from the stresses of home life. But I think tourists going in both directions. And don't forget that social distancing is much less in most European countries. We're a bit of an outlier with our two-metre um, requirement. It's, it tends to be one and 1.5 metres in, in most European countries. So that does mean a slightly more relaxed environment in a restaurant, say, or in a bar. Yes, in the UK, we'll have two metres. Yes, there's going to be long queues for any attractions that are open. I do feel that across Europe, people that have had to live with, you know, the pressures of lockdown and the pressures of illness with friends and relations and all the rest of it on themselves for a long time, there will be an appetite to get away and just try and forget or try and relax and, and try new experiences. I'm sure people want to do that. So we might see tourists from France coming back here, which I'm sure will be welcomed by the hotel industry that we, we've spoken a lot about on the podcast with you, Jonathan. And also in London, we have some sectors going back to work anyway, like construction. It does feel a little bit like the, the country is, is starting to ease out of lockdown a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess I guess you might say that sort of phase one of lockdown is over and we're into sort of phase one and B almost because it's not a full relaxation. Some sectors are going back today. Construction and house building, as you say, seem to be first out of the blocks. But most of the rest of us, uh, I can't see a huge rush back to offices anytime soon, partly because it's such a confusing situation on commuting. We're told that commuting by public transport is, is undesirable um, and that capacity is only going to be 10 to 15 percent anyway. People should drive to work or cycle. But, you know, we know from experience that London's roads can't handle the peak commute. And so I think a lot of people will be put off 
just by the sheer horror of you know getting getting to the office, let alone the safety they might encounter when they get to their place of employment. I think it's going to be extremely slow. Central London will not be uh, the, the same place without the hospitality sector opening up for months on end, and that's going to be July at the very earliest. It's going to be a really slow return to whatever we think of as normality that will take us all the way through to the autumn, I suspect. And that's the Leader Coronavirus Daily. You can keep up with all the latest COVID-19 developments with the Evening Standard's live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. And we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.